Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of two certified financial planners. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic conditions, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Nguyen. All right, Bill, new week, same question. How are the markets? Same results as last week. We have uh, the four main categories in negative territory. Uh, the S&P 500 down 0.8, small caps down 0.43, international stocks down 2.29, long-term bonds down 2.34%. Uh, you know, they're actually down almost 18% over the last three months long-term bonds because of the rise in interest rates. So uh, another week where all four indicators are in negative territory. So why has the downturn on the long-term bonds been so significant if it's gone from what was it, four and a half to now 5.25 in the past three months? Is that just a little bit more emotional? Is that really the component of math that we always talk about? Pure math and uh, interest rates this year, um, the five, the 10, the 30, uh, they're all up about 25%. The the rate is up about 25%, and that's devastation for long-term bonds. Mm -hmm. So when we move over to the equities world, we see that the economy is robust, retail sales came in hotter than expected, and all of that is kind of putting a blanket on stock prices because even the good news is just the Fed's more um, more onus to raise rates. Is that what's going on? Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to raise rates, though. I think the bond market's doing the damage for them. Mm. And if you look at the one to six month yields, they really haven't moved a lot here recently. Most of the movements coming in the, the 10, the 20, and the 30 year. So the longer term Part of the curve is is rising more than the short term into the curve currently. So you can see the the yield curve start to flatten out. Uh, but those rising rates on the 10, 20, and 30, uh, those do a lot of damage to bonds and bond funds. Uh, so I think the Fed's done raising rates. But again, the bond market is, is sending another message in terms of uh, uh, rising rates. So how do you kind of pars the the mentality of earnings seasons being pretty solid, but we're still seeing a downtrend in stocks. Is that normal when we have this type of environment or like what should we expect? Yeah, it's it's earnings season and then right now it's kind of hit or miss. Uh, mm-hmm. Netflix is rocking today. Uh, Tesla is not. Yeah. And so it really depends on the company and the stock. But Again, all eyes are on interest rates. That's what's moving the market. Uh, mortgage rates topped 8% uh, this week. Yeah. And the 10 years knocking on the door of 5%. It backed off a little bit this morning, but it was at 496 this morning. And that that's really the driver right now. Interest rates are controlling everything. And when interest rates rise, everything resets lower. Yeah. And then with the atrocities going on in Israel, is that having an impact on the market or do you anticipate it will? Uh, it's tough. You know, it's such a horrible situation there. Um, but economically here, it's not going to have an impact. And I hate to mix 
money into that equation, mm-hmm. but the reality is it's financially, it's not going to have an impact on our markets or our stocks for the most part, uh, as sad as that is to say. But if you look at uh, what happened when that attack occurred is investors jumped into U.S. Treasuries for safety and yields dropped uh, a little bit. Uh, so the Treasury is still a safe place for people to park money. It's a haven. And uh, so on the bond side, it, it actually helped a little bit. On the equity side, it, it really shouldn't have much of an impact. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just kind of seems like we're in that wait and see environment with rates again, which is kind of exhausting to keep talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been watching and waiting rates for 30 years and it, uh, there, there's always something lurking around the corner and uh, <clears throat> hopefully hopefully, it's they kind of stabilize in here and people could lock in some nice income and, and generate some cash flow for them. Yeah, like we talked about last week's podcast about the higher for longer not necessarily being a horrible thing. When do you think the market's going to accept a stable rate? Does Powell have to flat out come out and say, hey, this is where we're staying for a long period of time? Or is how does yeah, that I, signal it? I think so. Yeah, it. they need to change their language and say, hey, we think uh, the damage is done. He, he won't use the word damage, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I, I think they need to say, hey, we're this is good. We're we're gonna hold, or the economic data starts to turn south, and everybody says, "Okay, now they're gonna start lowering rates." Uh, unfortunately, for rates to go lower, bad things have to happen. People yeah. lose jobs, um, prices reset, uh, we go into a recession. Uh, it's really not a good outcome for that. You know, if you look at the prior periods of uh, the Great Recession. Uh, COVID rates basically went to zero. They did go to zero mm-hmm. uh, and it was a horrible time. And I certainly don't want to go through that. Like I don't want to go through a massive recession just to lower interest rates a little bit or a lot. Uh, I'd rather just uh, them kind of stabilize and hang out here and, and, and accept it. Yeah. I mean, a soft landing would be incredible and not just having, cause I think you're right. If we have a sharp correction, the Fed's going to go too far again, cutting rates, and then we're going to be having this battle for, I mean, like you said, thirty years. <laughs> yes, yes. Like maybe, maybe we'll get it right this time. Who knows? Well, perfect. Let's transition into our empowering education, and and we're going to kind of flip roles here as yes. we talk about kind of what you want to tee up for us. Yeah, <clears throat> we're going to talk about uh, faith and finance today, financial faith, and 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 how the two worlds. Uh, men together. You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about faith or spirituality at work. They want to keep them separate. <clears throat> and a lot of people don't like to incorporate the two yeah. uh, for one reason or another. But what what is your definition of faith and finance? How do you look at faith and finance today? Yeah, I don't know if I could really define it like in a, a sentence or two, but I think it's really just this idea of um, people's faith and then their financial life and trying to bridge the gap between the two. And I think we do that a lot with our other aspects of our life. When we talk about relationships and faith, it's an easy bridge. We talk about our conduct and faith, it's an easy bridge. But when we talk about faith and finance, they really, it's it's a hard connection. And a lot of people, it's taboo about it and they don't really believe that faith should be integrated with their fin- uh, financial life. but 
when we read the the Bible and the word of the Lord and, and his command towards us, it's always that his spirit and his life be the defining factors of all assets of our life. So that's what I'd probably boil it down to is bridging the gap between our financial life and then our faith as well. And what, why don't you think more people incorporate it into their financial life? Like why, obviously a lot of people are, are, are faith-based or spiritual or religious, however you want to define it. Yeah. Uh, why, why don't they incorporate that more into their financial lives? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons on that. The first one, I, I believe there's a negative connotation when it comes to finances, and uh, especially when it comes to the main passages that we see about finances in, in this scripture that is always blown out. You know, your First Timothy 6.10, and then your Matthew 6.33, with the love of money being the root of all evil, and then seek first the kingdom of God, and all else would be added to you. I think people view it as, or even the rich young ruler, which is another one that is very yeah. predominant in our society, in our Christian faith, I think they have this negative connotation that they're like, the Lord is telling me just don't even focus on it. I don't need to focus on it. I need to sell all I have and go give to the poor and do those things, which is kind of a misinterpretation because he's talking to a singular person, individual rather than the entire society. But I think that's that's the major reason is the negative connotation plus the command that is kind of prevalent among the major topics of faith seem to be discounting finances. You mentioned uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. Most people get that wrong. They say yeah. money is the root of all evil. So can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people say the love of money or the, the money is the root of all evil. And actually, when money is used as a negative connotation in our Bible, and especially in the New Testament, it's the phrase, the love of money. So we see yeah. that in Timothy, Timothy, we see that in Hebrews, and we see that in a couple other epistles. It's never just money. It's the phrase, the love of money. And yeah. that makes total sense because if you love anything more than the Lord, that's immediately going to lead to evil, right? And yes. I think the love of money is one of the easiest ones to kind of pick out because we see the devastation almost immediately um, mm -hmm. in, in, in our world. If we start loving money, that's where we start getting over leverage. That's where we start pursuing other things. And it's a lot more quick, a quicker reaction, I'd say, than a lot mm -hmm. of these other things. But yeah, the, the first Timothy 610 gets posted everywhere. And a lot of people mm -hmm. say money evil, rather the love of money or the love yes. of anything over the Lord is, is the root of all evil. Yes. So talk about God referencing money and finances in the Bible. I think people are going to be surprised at how often he references finances and money in Scripture. Yeah, I, and I think you're 100% correct on that. So we did a quick research on it. And the word money occurs 139 times in our Bible. Wow. And in the Hebrew, it's the word tasif. And then the, so that's the Old Testament because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Hebrew. Our New Testament is actually written in Greek because that's just the, the written language of the day. And then the Greek word is karama. And so that occurs 139 times. Now, that's like, okay, you know, that's a number. Now, we talk about the word prayer. Yes. Prayer is mentioned in the Bible 90 times, Ooh, which is insane okay. to think that money is about 50 times or 50 more times mentioned than prayer, which is one of the staples and, and yeah. kind of the, 
uh, staples of our faith. And so it's just that idea money gets mentioned plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. So why, why would he reference money so often? It, it seems like in a Bible, prayer would be mentioned 10 times or 100 times more than money or finance. So why, why is money such a hot topic? Because I think really it, it is essential for any society. It's essential for any person to have a functional life, honestly. Like, because mm -hmm. we, you know, we talk about the US dollar, but in that we had the coins in the Old Testament and we had cattle was really used for currency. Mm -hmm. There's always needed to be this idea of some sort of economy. Even we talk about God's economy with Adam and Eve, he came and gave him a functionality of, hey, being a dominion, create order over the world. There's just no way to live a life without economy in our world. There's just, there's zero chance because yes. there needs to be sufficient needs met. You need to be able to have sustenance and to have sustenance, you need to be able to produce things. And mm -hmm. that causes currency that causes transactions. So I think that's why it's just, it's one of the biggest parts of life, in my opinion. And he obviously knew that it would be a hot button, hot button forever. Uh, so you, you have a unique background. Uh, tell us about your undergrad and graduate degrees and, yeah. uh, uh, and how those worlds uh, met. Yeah, I mean, we can go. It's not because I did my undergraduate in the Rawls College of Business for Texas Tech, and I got my business management. However, I did get a minor in poli sci, so we want to talk about all the world splintering. I got pretty yeah. much every aspect of it. And then I went and got my master's of divinity from Truett Seminary, which is a subsidy of Baylor. And so, yeah, um, and so needless to say, I, I got all kind of the business acumen that I tried in undergrad, and then I went and got a master's of divinity while working at a church, while being full-time at a in youth pastor, then also in a nonprofit um, ministry as well. And so needless to say, like, there's pretty much, if you want to talk about it, I, I've had experience with both business and the spiritual field as well. Do you, or did you have any conflict between the two worlds, uh, the two degrees? Uh, once you got your seminary degree, did you feel like you were being called in different directions? I did. And I've always had a passion for finance. I, that's what I was going to do out of undergrad, but I got this amazing opportunity to go to seminary. And I, I felt the Lord call me to really gain and garner my skills because I feel like they were going to, regardless of what I did with my occupation, I felt like they were going to be major advantages to going to seminary. But the biggest thing I noticed is there's just that that gap that we talked about and something mm -hmm. that I really wanted to try to to touch on and, and to mend because I feel as if working for a church and seeing the stories, it's just there's just such a disconnect and it, allow, it leads to a lot of heartbreak, a lot of hurt that I felt, hey, if I'm able to mm -hmm. get expertise in both areas, I can really help. Yeah, we've often said that we are almost like financial missionaries yeah, uh, helping people achieve their goal. So the Bible talks about stewardship. We should be good stewards of our resources. Can you touch on uh, what stewardship is and and how can we be good stewards of our resources? Yeah, we don't we don't really have a great example of a steward um, occupation in our American economy. Like I think mm -hmm. the only one that we actually use the word stewardess is with a flight attendant and. Yeah. 
it works in the same manner, right? The flight attendant is given resources such as your pretzels, your chips, and your drinks, yeah. and they are, um, they are um, not ordered, but just hey, their job is to distribute the materials responsibly, right? And yeah. so, in the same manner, if you give somebody a hundred water bottles, nobody else on the flight's going to have uh, any water. And so, mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. same manner, stewardship is just whatever you've been given, being able to use it. Um, and distri- distribute it responsibly. So whether that be if in your finances, giving generously and also making sure your family's taken care of, but even in your talent wise, if you're really good at public speaking, but you don't like it, well, you are limiting somebody from experiencing the God's gift that he's given to you in your life mm-hmm. in the same manner. So it's just distributing and managing resources that the Lord gives you correctly and responsibly. Yeah. So how, how can an investor today steward their resources? So somebody has money in a 401k, an IRA, an investment account, yeah. money in a bank. How should they handle their resources or how can they steward their resources? Well, I'm a financial planner. So the first thing is plan because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, and I say that in jest, but I think planning is what causes success 99% of the times for any field. Yeah. And so having a plan and then having a godly plan is what I'd say is able to really allow investors to choose where they're going to put their money, how they're going to invest their money, because it gives you the freedom to not only be financially secure, but also to be financially generous. And I think that's what planning does. And so the major thing is establish a plan, a godly plan in which we see hey, we're not going to love this money. We're not going to hoard it. Mm. We're not going to have it encapsulate all of our lives. We're going to give it to the Lord, but manage it well, like being that steward that we talked about. So you mentioned planning. We've done hundreds of plans. And I would say giving is the weak link for most individuals. Oh, yeah. it, it's the the subject that most people don't want to talk about uh, a lot of plans that we work on, giving is not a big component, unfortunately, of their financial lives. So what are your thoughts on giving and more importantly, tithing? Yeah, I, I'm thoroughly in the camp that it's a commandment from the Lord to give 10% of whatever your income is. Now, where that needs to be given, I believe it's the locality of where you're a member of a church. However, yep. some people view it as, hey, I'm going to give 10% to nonprofits and you know, that's great, honestly, because I've seen, I was I was a nonprofit manager, so I've seen the, the fruits of those labors, and, and yeah. they're not able to function or survive without giving. Mm-hmm. But again, that's where the plan really comes into effect, right? A lot of people have this, a lot of people work their finances this way. They get their money, they spend all their bills, they use their expenses for life and entertainment and then what's ever left they either save or they give and so a lot of times that's not really the goal um, are not able to meet the goal because they're just working with what's left over so mm-hmm. once you have that plan you say hey we're going to give 10 percent of whatever we take in that money gets sent out as soon as you receive it and then you're able to kind of live the means live in in the means of what's actually happened rather than just a theoretical percentage yeah it's interesting. Uh, people listen to God's commands, and when when God commands it, you should probably do it. So Malachi three ten, mm-hmm. that's the only Bible verse that God says, "Test me," and it's yeah. about giving. It's the only verse that said, "Hey, let's go. Give me your best shot." And and to me, I I feel like I don't want to go toe to toe with God on anything. 
And so that's a pretty powerful commandment in Malachi 3.10 is, hey, give, test me, and I'll open up the floodgates of heaven. And uh, I wish more people would give first and then, you know, spend, spend second. So, um, and that's an ethical, well, maybe not ethical or moral, but uh, do people need to be spiritual or faith-based to be an ethical investor? Um, I think it depends on how you define those two words, the spiritual and faithful. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's just like in one denomination or one religious sect, I would say no. But if it's more of like faithful and um, moral in the instance of greater humanity, mm -hmm. I think that's where ethics draw right in. Um, and so I would say if you're trying to just be a better human and, and advance society, mm -hmm. which is what ethics is, yes. I'd say it's being moral and being spiritual is a huge component of that. Yeah. Uh, I would concur. So a lot of investors have strong beliefs around uh, finance and religion and being spiritual. Can we create portfolios for people that have strong faith-based or spiritual uh, thoughts about how they should manage their money? Can we can we actually create a portfolio for them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's what we do with separately managed accounts. We're able to go and it list a bunch of beliefs that you're able to check off that you either do want to invest in or don't want to invest in such as tobacco pro anything and then it'll create an index fund um, for you so you're able to get kind of that diversification you're looking at and be able to get that breadth of the market with alienating some of the things you don't believe in and there's yeah. also some esg funds that are very in line with um, spiritual beliefs. No plugs here because we're not getting sponsored by anybody. But needless yeah. to say, we can give you those recommendations. If not you... yet, anyways. Not yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Does it have a screen on there that says, I only want to buy stocks that go up? So. No, unfortunately, no. if that was okay. a screen, I would uh, I would be pushing everywhere to that. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> How do you view uh, spiritual wealth versus material wealth? Uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. And I this is where I think the bridge is once again broke is because I think they're one and in, in the same, just as I would yeah. view relational wealth is directly correlated to spiritual wealth. I'd say material wealth is directly correlated to spiritual wealth, not saying that the more godly are, the more money you're going to have. I disagree yeah. with that. But I feel as if the more spiritually healthy you are, the more you look at your material wealth with content, yeah. and enjoyment and thankfulness rather than jealousy and hatred, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good one. So what are your thoughts around contentment and moderation? Because uh, contentment mm -hmm. is is another big uh, uh, tenant of the Bible. So what are your thoughts on contentment and moderation for investors? Yeah, I think contentment and moderation stems from generosity in my opinion. So the more generous you are, I believe the more content um, and moderate you're going to be because you once yeah. you witness giving and, and seeing the fruits and the amazing things that that offers, I found in my own life, this is just anecdotally, I don't necessarily need the new flashy thing. I don't need the new biggest home. I don't need the new nicest car because I see there's a bigger goal set in mind. And yeah, like the Lord always causes calls us to not live beyond our means. We didn't really get into it, but especially in the Jewish culture, it was all about, hey, you don't want to be having debt from anybody. Even more so, every 40 years, it was called the year of Jubilee, which all of the debt, 
regardless of what it was, was freed and given back to um, whomever received or, or took on that debt. And so the Lord was always been pushing towards, hey, let's live in moderation, let's live debt free yeah. in order to really be generous and to be faithful in whatever I've called you to do. Yeah, and using our resources to help any and all. And uh, yeah, when you're content, it certainly makes life a lot easier because as soon as you buy something, there's a newer thing right around the corner. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I've, I've been there been there many times. So how, how should investors handle conflicts between faith and finance? Is there well, something on that? Because uh, it, it probably comes up uh, more often than not. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it, this is a difficult one because a lot of people have no conflicts in a lot of different ways. Um, yes. Some people are very passive aggressive. Some people are very standoffish. Other people are very brunt and want to argue head to head. However, I think we just take a step back and how does the Lord command us to deal with any type of conflict? Yes. And once again, kind of removing this idea that finance is anything different from our relational or conduct um, aspects and saying, well, how do we deal with conflict in a godly way? We bring it to the forefront. Mm -hmm. You have a conversation and you do it with charity. That's what the Lord was talking about when he was speaking with Peter about forgiving his brother. He's like, hey, yeah. if we're going to handle conflict, we're not going to be doing it slightly. We're not going to be talking behind people's back. We bring the issue to the forefront, say it in clear and articulate terms, have a conversation, but most importantly, do mm -hmm. things with all charity. So that's just saying, yeah. do things with love and making sure you're being considerate. And I can't say I'm perfect at this because I've had a lot of conflicts with my faith and my finance. Um, yep. But I think that's just that's just how we grow, right? And so that's that's the goal. Yep, no doubt. So the last question: uh, Do you do you have a favorite verse about finance and money? I don't have a favorite verse, but I have a favorite parable, and it's the parable of the talents. I think Ooh. that is one of my favorite parables of all time. And yes, if you don't remember it, so the Lord has three uh, or the manager has three servants and he gives talents appropriated to each one of his abilities. One 10,000, the, the numbers are arbitrary, and then one one talent or 1,000 talents. And I think it's uh, like, like 10, 5, and 1. Yeah, or... 10, 5, and 10, 5, and 1. And so the big thing is talents are about 20 years worth of wages. So this guy got 10 talents. He's, he's looking at 200 years of wages. Another guy got 50. One guy got 10. And... The first guy went out to the market, made sure to invest it well, was a good steward, got a return, came back, gave it to the master. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Second thing happened to the second one. The last person went and buried the talent, and he comes to the, the master and says, hey, I'm really scared of you. I got this. I didn't want to lose any of your money. I just dig, dug a hole and now it's to you. So I'm going to give what you've given. And the master is furious. And he, it's yeah. funny because you don't really mention ever hear the banking system in the Bible, but he says, Hey, you put it in a hole. You might as well go to the bank. At least I would earn some sort of interest, which I just think yeah. is hilarious, but it just gives you this connotation or this interpretation that the Lord's giving talents. And in this, it's, it's, it's monetary, um, wealth and, and, and money, mm -hmm. and we're supposed to use it in order to, at the end of the day, give it back to the Lord and, and make yes. sure we're using it responsibly and growing it because the Lord wouldn't give you a talent, wouldn't give you resources, wouldn't give you abilities mm -hmm. if he didn't think you'd going to be able to use it for the effect and the advancement of the kingdom. And 
this verse I read constantly because I, I believe it's my job functionality where I'm at right now. Um, people come and they invest with us and we manage their money. And I want to make sure I'm always being faithful to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in times of hardship, trying to grow it as much as we can. Yeah, um, that's a, a great parable. And it, it's one that always uh, moves me. And and when you think you're doing the right thing, as the last uh, worker did, it's 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 not the right thing. So yeah, well, good good stuff, good yeah. good topics. Uh, I feel like um, uh, very informational. So thank you for that uh, on your background. So what is your what is your your hot topic this week? Or yeah, my my intriguing if intriguing issue is Netflix. Um, oh man, that was mine too. But go okay. ahead. Okay, we'll uh, I've been talking a lot, so you can go first, and then no, I'll go ahead. Okay, so my big thing is everyone, when all these streaming services came out, was like, Netflix is going to be dead in the water. They're yeah. over. This company doesn't have a sustainable business model. All this crazy things that got shot up. And then they are shooting the lights out, especially with their earnings beat and with their revenue growth and with their even um, membership growth that we've had in the yeah. fourth quarter or the third quarter. Um, and just in comparison, like some of these other streaming services that were supposedly supposed to be the Netflix killers are down. So Netflix yeah. is up 17.4% year to date. Paramount's down 26%. And then Disney is down 2%. Now you have your your Apples and your Alphabets, which they own YouTube TV and then Apple TV. They've been doing successfully. But, and then we don't know um, Hulu or um Peacock because NBC is a privately owned company, but yeah. I just I found it interesting that people were so quick to write Netflix off, and they're still producing content and making it happen. Yeah, it's up fifty six dollars today, uh, which is insane. It's about sixteen percent today alone, which is pretty awesome. But yeah, that was it, my my thoughts exactly. Huge subscriber growth. You know, they cracked down on password sharing, and that's going to uh, generate more revenue. Advertising is going to generate more revenue, so it looks pretty good here. And The Crown, I think the last season's about to come out, which is uh, can't wait for that. So um, that's a good one. That's that's a good one. Yeah, because like Paramount, uh, Paramount, and Disney are going the the other way. Uh, Netflix, uh, it might become a verb like Google, FedEx, Xerox, Kleenex. It, you know, hey, let's let's Netflix and say so let's go to the movie. Let's just Netflix it. Yeah, I mean, it's we'll I, I completely agree. Um, perfect. Right. Well, well, what do you want to leave our listeners? I'm going to ask you. Oh, you're going to ask me that. Yeah. Oh, wow. What do you okay. want to leave with, uh, <laughs> our our viewers with? Um, I would say, if you are a faithful person, allow your faith to treat your finances just as you would your relationships, your conduct, or um, any other aspect of your life, because that's yeah. that's the first kind of bridge of that gap. And lastly, I'd just say really how you incorporate faith and finance it's be a good steward which leads to being content which yep. leads to being generous and i think those yep. are the three things that are incredible yeah that's awesome good stuff all, all right. right thanks thank you see ya.